Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. Uh, w- one more thing that I want to let you know, if some of you are rolling with us since Easter, we gave a, a Give Me Five Challenge. I don't know if anybody in the room took that Give Me Five Challenge, but this is week five of the Give Me Five Challenge. And so, man, our hope and prayer for you is that you feel closer to God. You were able to connect with him and his word in a different way. But I'm going to say something that maybe a lot of other pastors don't say. I realize Revo is not for everybody. Uh, there may be something about what we do here or the environment or the people or me or whatever that you don't like. And if that's you, uh, then that's cool. But I care so much about you being a part of a local church that I want you to be a part of a local church even if it's not Revo. Like there are so many other great churches in our city that you can try. And I wanna challenge you, like if you're done with the Give Me Five Challenge, you're like, hey, like, great, thank you. I took it, I accepted, but this is not for me. We actually have a postcard on the way out the door. Uh, and it, at the very top, it says, uh, you have a place here. And there are 10 churches on that postcard that we love and trust, that love Jesus and that preach the Bible. If Revo is not a place for you, then please don't, don't just go back home and, and become who you were before you took the five-week challenge. Like, Give it another shot at a different church. Just see what God can do. We really want you to get plugged in even if it's not here at at Revo. So be sure to check that out on on the way out the door. Um, I I ran across something uh, the other day online, didn't even realize this existed, uh, but makes total sense based on the culture that we're in right now. But there is a a, a company that uh, tracks, when when you send a text message on your phone, um, there's a company that knows which emojis you use the most. I hate to break that to you, but it seems to be that someone is tracking what you're sending on your phone. Um, And so now all of a sudden, like there's companies that can tell you the most often sent emoji of the year. Did you know this, this existed right here? In 2019, it was the first time they did this. I don't know if you text with a lot of emojis, but, but let me show you the most frequently used emoji in 2019. It was this one right here, the, the laughing, crying face, right? Because remember 2019, not a care in the world. Man, life was awesome, right? We were just laughing so much. We were crying about everything. Life was, was so good. And then, and then 2020 happened, and there was a new emoji that got introduced. So this was the most frequent emoji used. Uh, it's virus. Uh, and that shape became synonymous with what we went through in 2020 with the coronavirus. In fact, there's a gumball tree uh, down the road from our house. And when it drops the gumballs, we, we would take the girls walking outside during COVID. And they would walk past those gumballs and they'd be on the ground. And my youngest daughter would be like, oh, it's coronavirus. There it is. And so like everybody knows this symbol now. And, and so that was one of the most, most used symbols, emojis. Uh, and then of course in 2021 we see the face with medical mask emoji Uh, that seemed to be one of the most popular ones if I could summarize 2021 in an image it would probably be the masked uh, emoji now 2022 has not come out yet but I have taken it upon myself to go ahead and assign an emoji for 2022 and if I could choose one uh, I hope you can relate to it it would be this one 
the face to the palm emoji. This is like, <laughs> this happens when, when someone says or does something and you either see it on social media or you read it on the news and like, I don't know if you're like me, but I, I see stuff and I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Is this the real world? Like, is, or is this a pretend world? Is this clown world that we live in? Like, don't t- tell me somebody did not just say what I just am reading on their social media. Tell me, like, some of these headlines. Have you watched the news lately? Like, you got to be careful out there. J- just in the last week, I, got, I have two headlines that I just, I just took. I'm just going to show you the headlines and read it to you. And I read these headlines and like immediately, like my face is starting to hurt. This happens so much. Immediately, I read the headline. I'm like, you have to be kidding me that this is the world we live in. Here, here's the social media, I mean, here's the headline from the New York Daily newspaper. Actor James Cromwell super glues hand to counter in Midtown Manhattan Starbucks protesting over fee for vegan milk. I decided to do a little investigative reporting, and I found out that actor James Cromwell has a net worth of $12 million. Last year alone, his salary was $4 million. Let me paint the scene for you. A man that is worth $12 million walks into a Starbucks and gets upset that Starbucks charges an extra $0.39 for every order you have that includes almond milk. And his response to that was, I think I'm going to walk into Starbucks and super glue my hand to the counter. You get him, James. You teach him a lesson. (laughs) That's really going to make a statement there. Man, I read that and I was like, he can't do that because his hand is glued, but like, I'll do it for you. Like, really? Seriously? I love the end part of the the article because even, even in Manhattan, New York, like the baristas, at the end of the article it says, uh, apparently the baristas like just continued to operate as normal, like it was just business as usual, like nothing shut down. Can you imagine like being the guy behind James in Starbucks and the barista looks at you and he's like, hey, I'm going to get you on this register because <laughs> I don't know what is his problem, but we're just going to keep doing it. Like, what, what do you want? But if you want almond milk, 39 cent. Tough, tough days we live in right now. Here's, here's another one. This is from the Oregonian newspaper. It's the largest newspaper in Oregon. May 8th, 2022, this is Mother's Day. Oregon pro-life group struck by Molotov cocktails in failed Mother's Day break-in. So let me get this straight. You saw a group of people that has a different opinion on an issue than you have. And the way that you choose to respond to that is you are going to throw a flaming bottle of liquor in their office building. How, how, where where are we? What world are we living in right now? Like, how, can we, like, is it that hard to differ with someone? Like, is is, is it that hard? Like, those, those are the decisions we're making. Who decided that would be a smart thing to do? Who decided that would be an idea that was worth pursuing in a moment like that? So it begs the question uh, for me, what are we supposed to do? What are Christians, followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in here today, what, what are you supposed to do in the midst of a culture that is rapidly changing? 
And if you look at it, a lot of the changes that we're seeing on a rapid basis are pushing people further away from God, not getting closer to God. So what do you do? How are we supposed to respond? What happens when you find yourself in a world that is drastically changing, but you don't believe the change is good? How how should you respond to that? Well, I want to give you five things today, five things to jot down from a story that if you've been rolling with Revo for very long, it it might sound familiar. It's a story out of 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is how followers of Jesus are supposed to live and respond in a world that has completely lost its mind. (laughs) If any time in the past year, you feel like culture is saying, where are we going and why are we in this handbasket? Like this is the time to figure out what we're doing. This is our response to a culture that's changing, moving in a direction that if you read the Bible, it seems to be moving further away from what God has, has called us to. We did an entire series last spring on the, the, the person of David, like the story of David, and we actually highlighted this story from David's perspective. But what I want to do, if this story sounds familiar, that's why, what I want to do is I want to look at this story from the perspective of the other people, the other characters in this story, as we learn five ways that you and I can respond when it seems like the wheels are falling off of culture and how Christians are supposed to interact in that day. Here's the setting in 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting in verse 1. It says, now, now Samuel died, and all of Israel gathered for his funeral. They buried him at his house in Ramah. Then David, soon to be king, moved down into the wilderness of Moan. Here's the scene. Samuel was a very powerful leader. He was a political leader. He was a religious leader. He had his hands in the economic situation of the world. And scripture says that he died. Now we know that anytime there's a change in leadership or a shift in ideas and values in the world, that things start to change. And some people are going to think that's a great change, and some people are going to think that's a really bad change. Well, when a godly religious leader like Samuel dies, what we see is now King Saul is in place. King Saul is not a good dude at this point in his life. He's not doing what God calls him to do. It's kind of a corrupt government that they find themselves in. The economy is not doing very well. Morality seems to be tanking in the culture that they find themselves in, and in the middle of all of that is David. David, a man of God. David, a follower of God. David, one day he would be the king of this very area that he finds himself in. So David is looking around and it seems like everywhere he looks, all he can do is just like, what is going on here? Why are these people acting like that? What are they talking about? What are they doing? What, what is going on? So let's look at, at what happens next in the midst of all of this change in turmoil. Verse 2, so there was this wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and it was sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and he had a wife. Her name was Abigail. And now, Abigail was a sensible and beautiful woman. But Nabal, a descendant of Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dwellings. 
First thing that I want to ask you to jot down, I want to challenge you this. Man, unfortunately in our culture, you have to look really hard for this. But when you are a follower of Jesus in the midst of a changing culture, the first thing that I want you to learn how to identify is this. Number one, jot it down. Look for sensible, stable people. Look for sensible, stable people. Scripture tells us that this family had extreme wealth. Uh, they had tons of animals, which would have been property and money. And, and on top of that, it was sheep shearing time. So it was payday for them. Uh, so they were going all the way to the bank with more money than they've ever had in their entire life. The man's name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. Uh, now, Abel, uh, uh, Nabal, it says, was a crude man. He was crude. He was mean. Some of your translations may say that he was harsh that he was an evil man. Uh, He's opposite direction of what God is calling him to. But his wife, Abigail, was described as something very different. Abigail was sensible. She was beautiful. Some verses say, or translations say, she was very intelligent, and she was a very discerning woman. Now, you you and I need to understand, these are the two categories that people fit into in our lives. You either have friends and family or strangers or followers on social media that are either Nabal or they are Abigail. Everybody fits into one of those two categories. You have people that are crude and they're harsh and they're mean and they don't know how to control their mouth and their emotions get the best of them and like they're just a ticking time bomb. You never know what they're going to say, when they're going to say it, how they're going to say it. They're like a tornado, just like demolishing everything in its past. And then you have people in your life like Abigail. And they're straight thinkers. They're level-headed. The the saying that we use, maybe that you've heard before, is like, this girl has her head screwed on right. It's screwed on straight. Like, she's very well thought. She doesn't speak first and think later. Like, she's very calculated in her words. She's a wise woman. She's discerning. She doesn't say things that later she regrets. She's a very under-control individual. Now, now probably you're thinking right now, you're identifying the Nables in your life, and you're identifying the Abigails. And if you don't have any Nables in your life, you might be the Nable in, in somebody else's life. So you need to ask your friends, like, is this me? Uh, like, am I your Nabal, uh, or am I your Abigail? But as followers of Jesus, man, we have to realize a huge portion of the world is losing their mind. It's uncontrollable emotion and rage and anger and speak first and think later and who cares who it hurts, who cares what is a result of it. I got to say it. I got to get it off my chest. They're mean. They're crude. They're ugly. That's not the type of people we want to be. As followers of Jesus, we want to be like Abigail. We want to be known as people that think before they speak, that are very controlled in our response, that that are not firing off at the mouth and having to apologize later. We're not letting our emotions get the best of us. That was the difference between Abigail and Nabal. So do you have people that are secure and level-headed and stable in your life that you've surrounded yourself with, that you are listening to? Or are you just in the throes of everybody in the world that is angry and emotional about everything right now? Because that's how the world is beginning to shift and change, and we we need to know how to, to navigate it. So what happens? We introduce these two categories, and in verse 4, the story continues. When, when, when David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel with this message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, and everything you own. 
I'm told, I heard through the grapevine, that it is sheep shearing time. Uh, While your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel, we never harmed them, and nothing was ever stolen from you. Ask your own men, and they'll they'll tell you that that, that we were there, and we didn't take advantage of you guys. We didn't steal anything. We, We protected them. So would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions you might have on hand with us and with your, your friend, David. So these messengers come up, and, and here's the reality. Here's the summary. Uh, David allowed Nabal's herds and his shepherds to graze on the land that his army occupied. And David had 600 soldiers. David could have easily killed the shepherds and stolen all of the sheep for himself. He could have demanded a ransom for their release. David could have chosen to do something that would have benefited him. But instead, David looked and said, I didn't steal a single thing from you. I didn't take anything from you. I didn't take advantage of you in any type of way. In fact, there were some times where my men actually protected the shepherds and the sheep. The same ones that you're making all of this money off of. So here's the deal, man. I just want to ask a favor. Like, could you help us out? I got 600 soldiers here. We're, we're away from home. Like, could you share a warm meal with us? Like I, I, like, I know you're running to the bank right now and like dropping a couple of hamburgers on my team. You wouldn't even notice it was out of your bank account. So kind of like since I helped you out and I scratched your back and I helped you out some, would you be willing to do something for me? And the sensible, stable person would look at that and say, makes total sense. Like, you really helped me out. There's a reason why I have what I have today, and it's because you provided some protection. You didn't take advantage of me. David said, I could have done the wrong thing, but I didn't. Which brings me to the second point that we have to remember for us. I I don't care what everybody else is doing. This is for us. If you're on Team Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, this is what we do. Number two, always do what's right, even if you're the only one doing it. Always do the right thing. You cannot control what your neighbors do. You can't control what your followers on social media say. You can control what you do and say. You can't control what culture does and the directions that it swings and the different pendulums that goes in in their way and out the other. But you can control what happens in your home. You can do the right thing with your neighbors and with your friends. Like It's never the wrong time to do the right thing. And I'm so glad that that David, he took that personal responsibility. He said, man, the world that I'm in right now is going crazy, but here's the deal. My men, at this time, we are not going to take advantage of these people. We are not going to steal, kill, and destroy. We are not going to, to take what does not belong to us. I don't care what anybody else has done to us. I am always going to do the right thing. Is that your mentality? Is that your approach to life? Because in a world that is screaming, you better get yours at no matter what cost it takes to anybody else. David said, even if it means I miss out, I'm always going to do the right thing. And he looks at Nabal and says, you can ask your men. Every time that I was presented with an opportunity to do the right thing, I did the right thing. And so would you, would you mind sharing some of your earnings with it? And, and here's what, and now, now listen, any sensible person, any stable person would be like, for sure, man. That's like, you scratch my back, I want to scratch yours. I want to help you out, man. Thanks for the help. I didn't even realize you did that. But we already know Nabal's not a sensible, stable person. Here's his response in verse 10. Who is this fellow David? Nabal sneered to the young men. How does this son, of, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread? 
and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered from my shearers and give it to a band of outlaws who come to me from who knows where? So David's young men returned and told David what Nabal had said. And here's where it gets spicy. Get your swords, boys. That was David's reply as he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started out with David, and 200 remained there to guard their equipment. Nabal says, hey, look, I don't even know who David is. David's not my people. David doesn't speak my language. David doesn't share my political views. David's not the same color as I am. David didn't vote the same way that I did. David comes from a very different background. Who is this David? I don't care about you. Like, if you're not just like me, if you don't think like me and talk like me and act like me, I don't care about you. And don't ask for me for any favor. How dare you, in fact, come up to me? I'm not going to give you anything. Like, Nabal didn't even believe that these people were from David. They're like, man, for all I know, you could just be like five homeless dudes that walked up and said, yeah, we got a king and we helped you out. You owe us five bucks. So he turns them down, and that was Nabal's response. Why? Because Nabal is a mean, crude, unstable, emotionally unintelligent person. And unfortunately, that got to David's skin. Like, that rubbed him the wrong way, man. And and David kind of has a lapse in judgment because in response to that, David decides he's getting ready to strap up. And he says, man, that was the wrong question, man. We we can do this the easy way or we can do this the hard way, but we're going to do it either way. And Scripture tells us that, that now David is marching to the front door of Nabal to teach this man a lesson. Well, thankfully, Nabal's wife, Abigail, hears what's going on. And she knows her husband is getting ready to make a huge mistake. And she wants to intervene. Like, she has to step in in, in this moment. So she, even though her, her husband ran his mouth in a bad way because he's mean and crude and unstable and unsensible, now the intelligent girl, the, 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 the one that loves God, is going to step in and help. In verse 18, it says, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisin, and 200 fig cakes, even brought dessert. She packed them on donkeys, and she said to her servants, go on ahead, I will follow you shortly. But she did not tell her husband Nabal what she was doing. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen. But he has repaid me evil for good. You ever been there before? You ever chosen to do the right thing, and somebody repaid you and took advantage of you? And did the wrong thing? That gets old, doesn't it? Well, it got old for David, and unfortunately, again, he had a lapse in judgment. And instead of doing the right thing, he said, I'm going to take these matters into my own hands. Because I can't let evil go unpaid like that. And he took it onto his own self. Verse 22, may God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. Bitter party of one, your table is ready. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Abigail stepped in because uh, Abigail knew something that, that we have to know. If there's something going on in the world that needs to change and you need to change or a situation in your life needs to change, then write this down. Number three, we need to learn how to listen to people who know how to change. Abigail knew how to change. See, Nabal was hard-headed, 
He was stubborn. He was mean. He was evil. And he didn't change. That's who he was. But Abigail looked at that situation and said, you know what's going to change this? Somebody's going to have to step in with some humility. Her husband was arrogant. Abigail was humble. Her husband was self-centered. Abigail was level-headed and was able to see what the right thing was due. Her husband was so stubborn, he was unwilling to change his ways. But Abigail said, if somebody doesn't change, then this whole thing is going to blow up in our face and a bunch of people are going to die. So Scripture says she humbles herself in front of David and bows down and said, hey, look, whoa, 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 I'm sorry. Like, I'm, I'm sorry about what was said. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we, we got to come up with a solution here. We need to figure this out. Surround yourself with people like Nabal, and your life will never change. And some people like that. I, I pulled out my yearbook from my middle school, um, and, and I was picking through it, just looking at it. And in middle school, you know, people will sign their names and write you a little note in the front or the back. And I was looking at some of the notes that, that my uh, brilliant middle school classmates uh, wrote in my book. And one, no, one note in particular caught my attention. And it was a, 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 a guy that was saying some nice things about me. He's like, Nathan, I, I think you're funny and I think you're nice. And then he, and he wrote, before he signed his name, he wrote this in big letters at the bottom. Nathan, never change. Never change. Sounds good, doesn't it? But I can't think of a worse piece of advice to tell someone. Like, never change? Really? Like, you never want to get better? You never want to grow? Like, you, you, you never want to move past what you are today? You never want to move forward? You never want to get smarter? You never want to become more mature? Can you imagine what I would be like if I never changed from middle school? Well, that's hurtful. <laughs> if you surround yourself with people that are convinced, <laughs> you ever met people like this? I'm not going to change. This is who I am. I am who I am. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, then leave it. If I were you, I'd leave it. Because <laughs> I don't want to be around people that don't change. I don't want to be around people that are so stubborn and hard-headed that they think they're always right, and they can't get any better, and they don't need to get any better, and everybody else is wrong, and I'm right. I want to be around people like Abigail that's willing to humble themselves when they know something's wrong. That's willing to say, you know what, in a world that is allergic to taking responsibility for everything, Abigail stepped in and said, I'm sorry, I'll take responsibility for it. That's on me. I want to make it right. Somebody else did something wrong, I'm going to step in and make it right. Surround yourself with people that know how to change because there are things about you that need to change. And those people will teach you how to change. You'll see their life changing and it'll inspire you. And David definitely got inspired when he saw Abigail's humility and what she did. Verse 25, this is what she said about her husband. I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. <laughs> Please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just as his name suggests. Now this isn't like, this is a girl calling her husband a fool. He's like, he's a fool, but he's my fool, okay? You know, right? But she's not just calling him a bad name, because the, the Hebrew word Nabal actually means fool. Like, I don't know if his mom knew that or not, if this was like a prophecy, <laughs> or if she just like, you know, Nabal right, right, just flows off the tongue. But like, she literally named her kid idiot, right? <laughs> it's just like, you know, come on, let me introduce my son, idiot here. Hey, everybody meet idiot. And that's Nabal. And this wife says, I know my husband is a fool. The irony is not lost on me that his name means fool. I get it. 
But, but check this out, David. I want to remind you of something. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, and you yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your own hands, let all your enemies and those who try to harm you be cursed as Nabal is. Do you see what Abigail did? She brought God into it. She knew that David was a godly man. She knew that David had some crazy thoughts running around in his head right now. Like, we're getting ready to slaughter everybody on a revenge killing spree. And she sat down in front of David and she said, David, you don't want to do that. That's not who you are. You worship a God that fights your battles for you. You worship a God that no matter what happens in culture, God is still in control. You don't need this. Like, you don't have to worry about that. Like, just let that go, David. And she reminded David that he was a man of God that he was a follower of God. And here's how David replied in verse 32. David replied to Abigail, Praise the Lord, PTL, the God of Israel, who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murder and from carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow morning. Then David accepted her present and told her, return home in peace. I've heard what you said. We will not kill your husband. Here's something that Abigail tells David that you and I need to be reminded of today. Just because someone treats you poorly doesn't mean you have to respond poorly to them. Just because someone lashes out at you doesn't mean you have to lash out at them. Abigail looks at David and says, you don't want to do this. That guy's an idiot. You ever ever heard the, 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 the saying like, Two, two, two wrongs don't make a right. right. Abigail steps in and says, two idiots don't make a solution. He's an idiot. You don't need to be an idiot. Like, don't be dumb. He's dumb. You don't need to be dumb. He's mouthing off. He's emotionally immature. He's managed by his emotions. That's not you, David. You don't have to do that. You don't have to respond the same way that you're treated. Like, you can be better than that. As followers of Jesus, we don't, we don't meet the, the anger with the anger. Whatever is thrown at us, we don't say, well, well, then that's what they deserve to be thrown at them. Because here's what Abigail knew, the fourth thing that, that she points out to David that you and I have to remember. As followers of Jesus in a world of change, we follow God's word, not our emotions. When you're making decisions about what's right or wrong or what you're going to do, you're either going to follow your emotions and what feels good and what feels right and what everybody else is doing, or you're going to sit and say, yeah, but this is what God's word says. Abigail looked at David and said, but you are a man of God. The Lord is who you answer to. Nabal, I, I don't know what's wrong with this cat, but you are different. Nabal, he lets his emotions get the best of him. David, you're not going to do that. Your standards are set by God. This is how you live your life. Do you have anybody in your life that will do that for you? Do you have any checks in your life? Somebody that could say, like, give you a call in the middle of the day. Hey, yo, I was just on Facebook. That thing you just put on there, you need to take down. Like, come on, man. How is that, how is that a good witness? How is that helping other people know who God is? Is that statement right there going to get anybody closer to Jesus? All right, so take that down. Do you have any checks like that, any filters, anybody that would be willing to speak that truth into your life and saying, hey, man, are you letting your emotions get the best of you? Like, are, are you watching what the world is doing and they're ugly and they're mean and they're yelling and they're crude and they're evil and they're mean-spirited and you're just matching their energy? Because that's not what we do. 
That's not how the church and followers of Jesus respond to a changing world. We stick by God's word. We don't allow our emotions to get the best of us. Thank goodness. Like David even says it, man. Like, praise the Lord, you stepped into this because I was getting ready to wreck my life. I was getting ready to post something that I would have regretted. I was getting ready to do something that would have tainted my character. And God would have been furious at that. It might would have changed the social and, and, and aspect, spiritual aspect of my life forever. Man, thank goodness Abigail showed up. And thank goodness that David didn't let his emotions get the best of him, but that he stuck by God's word. Thank goodness for those things. David kind of snapped back into it. It, it, it. I was going to let the changing culture affect me. And David, here's what David was getting ready to do. David was getting ready to get in the mud with the pigs. There's a lot of mud throwing going on right now. And I, I challenge people on this every day. Don't get in the mud with the pigs. You, do you know what? P- pigs love mud. But do you know what pigs love more than mud? When other pigs get in the mud with them. They want mud buddies. Like they don't want to be the only one looking like a, a muddy pig. They want you to look like a muddy pig too. Don't get in the mud with the pigs. Who cares if they start throwing mud? Who cares if they let their emotions get the best of them? Abigail steps in to David and says, you don't want to get in the mud with this pig. Man, all you're going to do is end up getting muddy and dirty on the way out. Don't do it. Here's, here's how the text ends. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king. He was very drunk, so she didn't tell him anything about her, messing, her messaging with David and meeting up with David until dawn the next day. In the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. As a result, he had a stroke. And he laid paralyzed on his bed like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck him and he died. (laughs) I I tried to hold it back, but I couldn't. (laughs) David wanted to take matters into his own hands. Ever been there? David looked at culture and said, I'll be the judge, I'll be the jury, and I'll be the executioner. I get to decide what happens to them. I get to decide what's right or wrong. I'm going to take all of this into my hands. I get to be the judge. But Abigail talks some sense into him and it serves as a reminder, last thing to write down. I know this is going to be the hardest one. You ready? Number five is this, let God be the judge. You are not the judge. Let God be the judge. God will work it all out. There'll be one day where all of us stand in front of God and we'll figure out who was right and who was wrong. And I can already tell you, there's going to be some times where God was going to say, Nathan, hey man, appreciate your energy, appreciate your passion. You got that one wrong, bro. And I'll be like, my bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. If I overreacted in an emotional way or I said something that was, that was over the top, and God's going to work all that out. And that's exactly what God did. God took care of it. There was a man that was against God, and God said, David, you focus on you. You focus on what I've called you to do. You be faithful. You be stable. You be sensible. You don't let your emotions get the best of you. You make sure that you do and you lead your family well and your tribe well and and, and you stay focused on me. I'll handle Nabal. Ten days later, God handled Nabal. Hey, focus on that. I know know in this world, man, we love to judge people and, and the world looks at Christians and says, that's all you guys ever do is judge people. Let God judge them. You stay focused on you, your family, what God's called you to do. You doing the right thing no matter what it costs. You doing the right thing even if you're the only one that's doing it. You keeping God in the middle, keep him as your focus. 
and, and you watch how even in the midst of a changing world, you can find the peace that God promises in Scripture. We need more, more people like that, more Christians that know how to act in a world that is changing and seems to be going off the rails. And Winston, that can start with us. Let's do it. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for preserving this story for us. A great example. Thanks for even showing us the parts about David that might be kind of blemishes on, on his story, just so that we can learn from it today. Uh, God, so I pray that, that we can just make the commitment right now that we're going to do what's right no matter what. Uh, that we're going to trust you no matter what. That we're going to let you be the final judge and sort out all the pieces no matter what. That, that we're just going to stay stable and sensible. We're going to stay connected to you. We're going to change in our lives the areas that need to change so that we can become more like you. And so God, I pray that you would honor that process and that you would create in us, in, in this church, on, on this corner, in this city, uh, provide us an opportunity to be a light in a dark world and that we would know what to change about us and how to respond in a world that, that seems to be falling apart all around us. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus and the gospel that's changed our lives. I pray that we can offer that hope to others as well. Give us the wisdom and the discernment to know what to do with the words that we have heard today. I ask and pray those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.